Today, we're talking to David, president of Three Pillar Global, about the art of work-life integration and more. You're listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. What's up, buddy? Good to see you again. How you doing? Doing good. So I was actually pretty excited to find out just today that you have a show that you were doing. Can you tell me about that? The Evolving Leader? Yeah, yeah. So um, it is a podcast. The Evolving Leader was really formed out of continual questions I got about my journey and uh, individuals wanting a piece of time uh, to just understand what are the lessons learned from the 16 years that I've been building this business. And um, I, have a, I have a love for investing in others and, and especially around the topics of leadership and helping others grow. I think that I was so fortunate in having mentors that were willing to invest in me that I wanted to give back, but I started running out of time. And there are only so many, many people that you can pick up and have a breakfast with. And so we decided to start to share some of those lessons learned. And I brought in some of those mentors, some of those great executives that I had learned from that I had grown with over the years. And we just told stories. And so it was a great hit. We had a lot of fun doing it. And we've shared a lot of leadership lessons through that experience. Nice. How do people find that? They can go to uh, daviddewolf.com. There's a link uh, on the website there for the Evolving Leader podcast. That is so cool. And you did that all in person. And that was just like a fixed series deal. Are you going to continue to do it? Yeah, it was a fixed series. It was a bit of an experiment that we ran. We got great reception from it. And we've talked about uh, potentially doing another season. So we'll see what happens in the future. Um, have have some ideas around that. You know, one of my ideas is, I think one of the ways, uh, Joel, that we learn the best is through failure. And so one of my thoughts was, why don't we take out some of those really fun stories of, of failure and great challenge? Um, and what are the lessons learned from that? And so we've started talking to some folks around that. We'll see what comes up of it. Definitely not the top most priority uh, in my life right now, but it is definitely something that I enjoy doing and passing on those lessons learned. Well, I'm noticing it. I mean, you definitely, since we met a couple years ago, have stepped up your like personal branding and sharing your experiences. And honestly, it's like, I kind of look forward to the post that, that you, that you do. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you sharing that. No, it's uh, it's something, you know, all of my blogging started off as myself just reflecting on lessons learned for myself. And from there, it grew to different people picking them up and saying they learned something from it. And I've realized that actually sharing your message, sharing your stories, sharing your lessons, not only impacts the world, but it allows you to, to create an influence. And I think very important in the world today is that we have principled leaders and sharing the lessons I've learned of how to be a, a principled leader and how to be an authentic leader in this world is something that it just allows me in a very small way to give back. Yeah. And I've gotten to meet a couple of your leaders like in person, great people. So great people. Yeah, I've been yeah. very fortunate to work with uh, some of the best, no doubt about it. And I, I think what's common amongst all of them all have different skills, talents, gifts that they've got that they put to use. But character matters. And we look at those values at that character that they have, first and foremost, when we're hiring. And so that's one thing I'm really proud of, is that we've always maintained that culture, we've always maintained the integrity with which we founded the company. And I think that's what people experience is, is leaders who may have a different style, may have a different tone, may have different gifts, but are principled. And uh, we hang our hat on that. Nice. The product mindset, that was big. I know we gave a lot of those books away when that was, man, that's actually, this is, we're talking three or four years ago. Three it's years been, ago. Time goes by fast. Doesn't yeah. it? 
Yeah, it's it's amazing how time flies. And, uh, you know, interestingly, I think the lessons from the product mindset are still valid today and maybe even more so. You know, since since we first talked and, and the product mindset was launched, COVID has hit and totally disrupted the pace of innovation. Right. Digital just hit us in the face because we had to. Um, and so it's accelerated this digital transformation and the the lessons from the product mindset are more relevant today than they ever were before. And the numbers are bearing that out, right? We've seen over a 2X adoption of digital goods and services in this economy. Um, and if you if you look at research from like the World Economic Forum, for example, they predict that over the course of this decade, and we're only two years into it, 70% of the economic growth in the world is gonna come from digital products and services. Like that just blows my mind that that's where we are today in, in terms of this digital adoption taking place. Dude, the metaverse is coming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, who knows what it's going to look like? I think we're still trying to figure it out. But there's no doubt that the way we transact, the way do we do business, the way that we add value to the world in this day and age, it's all digital, no doubt. Yeah, Zuckerberg's throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, <laughs> trying to figure out what it's going to look like and how it's going to be. For me, it's too we-like currently because it looks like the we characters and everything. Just like, yep. eh, I, I don't, I don't know when it'll be right for me, but I know that when I see it, Mm-hmm. I'll know if it's right. Like when I see it and I'm like, that's it. That's the thing yeah. that's going to do well. Then I'll then I'll jump in. I feel like it's a little bit of back to the future as well, right? You talk about the we, but it's also, remember Second Life, right? What was it? Oh, 10, yeah. 15 years ago, Second Life was everything and it was going to take over the world. It never came about. You know, I, I'm not sure I've figured out this whole metaverse thing. I think human connection matters. I think the real physical life we live in matters. And so I think we've got to navigate, yes, there's always innovation, there's always growth in technology and digital, but I'm not sure it's this total virtual world we're going to be living in like people talk about. I think that's an extreme we've been talking about for decades. We're going to figure out how it changes, but it we don't know what it is yet. Yeah, and I think we're more likely along the Elon Musk type concept of like merging with them versus like going completely in. I talked to a a person the other like week where they built a contact lens and like you put the contact lens in and let's say you open up Google maps on your phone and you're like, I'm going to go to this restaurant walking directions. And then you just look and like out in the distance and like like, in reality, a green arrow will just appear and like animate. It's called Mojo Vision. And mm-hmm. oh my goodness. And I asked him, I was like, is this here today? He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't wear contacts. I, I, I've i worn this and it took me a while because they've been working on it for years. But man, I was blown away that like that stuff exists. They had an example of somebody playing golf and like your score just kind of popping up over the green. And mm-hmm. dude, I think we're going that way where it's going to sort of merge with us and be a part of our lives versus just like digital, 100% digital. That right there, those are real use cases that, do provide more convenience. They do answer needs, right? The pure digital world, we're going to live in this fantasy world. I think those are tough because um, they don't solve real problems. It's one of the principles of the product mindset, right? You got to solve for need if you want people to truly adopt your products and use them. Um, And so I couldn't agree more. And I also think that that follows the trends that we've seen over history with innovation, right? Innovation blends in more with life, the real life, the more we move on, right? And I, I love the example of just devices themselves, right? You are talking about contact lenses. That's a really, really small device that blends in with your natural life. The phones we have now, 
that are so prominent are an example of where laptops came from, right? The laptop became the phone. Before the laptop was the desktop computer. Before the desktop computer was the mainframe, right? Things have been getting smaller and smaller and more and more part of our everyday life. I think there's a continuation that happens, no doubt about it. But this this change from being an external device to it is the world we live in and it's a totally virtual world, I'm not sure that's a total game changer for sure if it happens. But I think history has shown us what happens is what you just described. Things merge into our life. They become less and less um, of an external piece of us and closer and closest to who we are. But to who we are, we're not somebody different. We don't become something virtual. Yeah, like we use the technology and it's amazing. We sort of expanded the show. I started bringing on like interesting technology and people doing really cool things like putting you know, stents, electronic stents in their brains so they can control computers. And and what I notice going through that is we are exploding so many advancements in so many different areas. I've literally made it my full-time job with 15 other people to try to track this and just, ha- and it's overwhelming. We can't even yeah. do it. So the average person that has to like work a job, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's so tough to stay up and we're just, it's an explosion. So for me, I'm really grateful uh, yeah. and I'm super excited to be alive right now. I think this is like the greatest time ever. And it, it sometimes gets to the point because I get so excited that, uh, I, I get too into it in the work. And so I've d- started a new thing where I, I hard stop at five. Um, I used to just work 18 hours a day. And then I was like, all right, I got to invest in my family and mm-hmm. things like that. Because if I do that, then the time I spend at work is actually more potent than if I were to work those 18 hours. So how, how do you handle that? Because that was what spawned this whole interview, work-life balance. I saw your post yeah. on LinkedIn. It was a great story. You don't have to you know reference it verbatim, but you were generally talking about balancing work and life. What are your thoughts there? You know, it's interesting. I take a different tact from what you do. You just talked about, you know, cutting off having a hard line at five o'clock. I've actually said that work-life integration is what it's all about. I know that I am a single human being, and I think that too often people pit their work against their life, their family, their friends. And I've said for myself, what works better is if I say I am a dad, even if I'm in a boardroom, And I am a CEO, even if I'm tucking my kids in at night. And in real time, I have to make choices and prioritize what's important. But I'm going to look for every single moment where I can get leverage by combining those together. So I'll give you a great example. One of my favorite trips of all time, business trip. But I brought my 15-year-old daughter at the time with me to visit our office in Noida, India. And it was a fabulous experience for me as a father. I got closer to my daughter at that time than I ever would have been able to any other way. She traveled out of the country for the first time with me, went overseas, experienced the world. It was educational for her. But you know what? It was also incredible for our employees. They got to experience me as a dad. They got to interact with her. And they were amazing hosts. And my daughter went to the office with us for three days and did her homework there, but still had this amazing experience. And it just created a lot of leverage for me all the way around, right? My employees could see me as a human being, as a dad, not just a boss. And my daughter could learn a lot, see the world and connect with me in a way that I otherwise couldn't. I have found that when I live that way, I'm able to get more leverage out of my own life and stay, quote, balanced, but not by pitting one against the other, by truly living as an integrated person. 
Yeah. And I fully agree with that. I call it like at our company, I say work-life ratio. <laughs> It'll change what, what you're working on. I, I definitely put a hard stop at five for like the meetings I'm scheduling, hmm. you know, like, like routine stuff. Like I don't, I'm not doing team meetings after five. I'm not doing podcast recordings after five, but at five o'clock I, I built a studio on my property. So okay. I got... Uh, oh yeah. So I was in Florida last time we talked, we mm-hmm. sold everything when COVID happened, uh, our house and everything, bought an RV, traveled the United States for 10 months with our kids and our dogs, and then found a little farm in Nashville, like 40 minutes outside of Nashville awesome. and, and bought that and built a studio on it. And so now I walk back and forth. So I'm there at five o'clock, I eat dinner, but you're exactly right. Like I trade off with myself, but I also, my wife invo- is involved because she's like my business partner. Essentially, I bounce everything off of her. So sometimes I'll look at her and be like, all right, this is like a six figure deal. Like, do you want me to, she's like, go take it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. So it's definitely not a science. It's more of an art and kind of reading the moment of, am I getting that? Is that kind of what you're doing? Absolutely. And for me, it is in all aspects of my life. So I use the example of work and family, but my charitable giving, exact same thing. I look for opportunities where can I, through my charitable giving, um, bring my family into the picture and, and teach my kids something about generosity, for example, or you name it, all parts of your life. Great example. You were asking before about the podcast I did in The Evolving Leader. I went back, looked through all of the relationships that I had, and I I invited some of my best friends because I wanted to connect and tell stories with them again, right? Help me be a better friend. I am looking for those leverage points. And then what you said is so key. It's an art, not a science, right? There can be some science to it, right? For example, my morning routine and the discipline of how I get up in the morning, right? I always start with my prayer time. I then go exercise. I then have dedicated space to plan my day and optimize my performance. And then I get into deep work before I host any meetings, right? Every day. That helps me be more productive and a better person, right? I'm able to get more done by sticking to that routine. That's science. But the art is as priorities come up, as things things change. Am I aware enough of who I am to live in the moment and make deliberate decisions? And I think in this day and age, it's harder than ever because we have all these devices around us that are popping up saying this needs your attention, that needs your attention. And I have found getting out of that noise, turning off those notifications, really being deliberate can be really helpful for making sure that you stay present. Um, As my good friend Alan Stein says, be where your feet are. When you are where your feet are, you can take a curveball and make a judgment call and then live your best self. How long ago in your life did you, because just to share about a month or two ago, I was at church and our pastor had said something along the lines of paraphrasing, you know, your, your you version notification in the morning is not a Bible reading routine. And, and so I was like, all right, well, that kind of hit me hard. And so I realized that I'm, you know, 34, I grew up in church, spent most of my life in church and I've never actually like sat down and read the Bible. And so I said, okay, so he had like a 30 day challenge thing. And this was about six weeks ago. So I started doing that and I realized, you know, I already had a a really specific morning routine. So it was easy. I just stacked it on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause you and I both know if you have the one thing that's important that has to get done, it has to get done first. Right. And so I stacked that and I'll tell you what, man, these past six weeks, it's like, it's been extraordinarily beneficial. How long have you had that in your routine? 
So I have been fighting for it for probably about 20 years. But I'll tell you, here's what I have struggled with for almost my entire life is for me to be able to both have my prayer time in the morning and my exercise routine. I had been good for about 15 years about getting one or the other, but I really struggled to get them both. Mm. It was COVID actually that helped me learn how to do both. And I would say probably the last two and a half to three years is where I really cracked the nut and got good at doing both. And it was it was discipline. And, and the secret for me was giving myself space. I've actually taken my calendar and saying that morning routine is so important that I'm actually not going to start my, quote, work day until 10 o'clock, not because I don't do work before 10 o'clock, but because so often there were things I needed to get done that they were encroaching on one of the two of those. And so I made the decision that I was going to get up. I get up at five o'clock every single morning. I have my prayer time first and foremost. From there, I go, I do my daily planning. I do exercise and then I plan for a block of deep work to be productive and to get mental work done. That space and saying, I'm not going to schedule any meetings until 10 o'clock and sometimes we'll, we'll fudge it and it'll become nine o'clock. But giving myself four to five hours in the morning really gave me enough space to prioritize it like it needs to be prioritized to make it happen. And I think it's so true. And, you know, just look at what's popular in society today. N not everybody, you know, will have their prayer time like I do, right? My faith is really, really important to me. But look at these meditation apps that have crept up, right? People oh, yeah. all know that to, to be able to spend time just focusing and centering yourself really, really is important. I have found that to be so true. And um, for me, the way I practice that is is in my prayer time. And, and any time that I start my day that way, I have not only a more productive day, but I'm more joyful, I'm more fulfilled, I make better decisions because I'm putting first things first. Absolutely. I'm working my way through this book right here, Timothy Keller on Prayer. I just went on Amazon. I was like, what's the most popular book on this so I can learn? That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. But I was curious, I've got young kids. I've got three now under five. One's only about four weeks old. So we just had our, our third child who's a boy. Congratulations. And at what point in time, because you have older kids, right? What's your youngest age, mm. the youngest one? My youngest is two, but my oldest is 21. Oh. So okay. I've got eight of them in there. So about You've one at eight. every age gate. I've got eight kids. That's right. First of all, that's awesome. So the thing I'm struggling with now is consistency, the nights that like they come in and, you know, wet the bed or something at three in the morning <laughs> and they're up screaming for an hour or two or, or whatever it is. I, I notice that that kind of throws me. I mean, I'm getting it 80% of the days. I'm getting it 80% yep. of the time. And I try to reduce any time that like I'm off. Like if I notice myself off the routine, my goal is to reduce that to like as, as little time as possible. How do you handle that? Like you, you're getting up at five, but you're getting woken up at three. Like, what do you do? Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is a little bit of a different question, but I answer it first because I found it to be so important, which is 80% is awesome. So often I was beating myself up about the one missed day in my routine that it would set me off and cascade to more misses and more misses. And I, I finally learned to give myself a break and say, you know what? This routine is here to serve me. I'm not here to serve the routine. And if I'm hitting 80%, I should be celebrating, right? So first and foremost, congratulations. That's awesome that you're doing that well. Secondly, I found that just like my morning routine is important, what allows me to hit that is actually my nighttime routine. When I go to bed between 10 and 10.30, eight or nine times out of 10, I'm going to hit my, my morning routine the next morning. 
if I am staying late and I'm getting lazy and I'm going to send one more email, I'm going to go work on one more thing uh, and I get distracted, it's tough and it's harder to wake up. It's harder to not be groggy and distracted in the morning, those types of things. And so that discipline has been really important to me. But the reality is I'm still a dad. Yeah, you, you use the example, the kid that went to bed at night. Here's another example. Your kids get older. As soon as they're teenagers, they don't start talking to you until 1030 at night. And so a lot of times <laughs> if you want to have conversations with them and they're 16, 17 years old, you better be staying up till 1130 at night. And there's been a couple of times my wife and I have found ourselves in the kitchen chuckling to ourselves like, oh, my gosh, it's so past my bedtime. But this conversation is rich and great. And I want to be a good dad. So I go with the flow and I give myself a break and I I try to get up in the morning, but if I don't like that's part of the art we were talking about before of being present and making that judgment call. And in that moment, you know what? Being a present dad and having that conversation and connecting with my kids is more important than having my routine for the sake of my routine the next day. And so if I don't get up when my alarm gets off and I hit snooze too many times, you know what? I'm probably going to cut my exercise up. You know what? I'm probably going to pull back slightly on the amount of time I spend in deep work and do an hour and a half instead of two hours. Right. Those are the types that maybe I'm not going to take as long of a shower. I'm going to push myself to get in and get out versus being a little right. I look to tighten it up a little bit. And so I want to hit it, but I'm not do it every perfect every time. And I'm going to give myself a break and give myself some grace to be human. I, I know exactly what you mean, too, because. So I'm building a pantry, man. I started okay. like I needed my outside of time. I needed to integrate something that wasn't digital because my hobbies yep. were digital. My work was digital. And so I said, you know what? We want to do this pantry, tear down a wall, make a big pantry. I was like, I'm going to buy all the tools and I'm going to do it myself. And I'm just going to learn how to do this stuff because my dad, all his brothers and everything are in construction. It was their family business. And he went oh, into wow. engineering, like elect okay. electronics and hardware and software. So me and my brother, we've always kind of been like the black sheep of like all the cousins and everything because we're the only ones that right. aren't home builders. So yep. like, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to, they won't laugh at me because of my hands being soft. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I farm it. now. So I, I buy all this stuff and I'm working on it. And then I was getting ready to get into it and work for a couple hours that evening. And she's like, daddy, she's like, I love you. You're my best friend. Can I sit next to you? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, daddy, can we go for a walk? And daddy, can we do? I was like, okay. Like, yep. I'm going to prioritize this because this is so rare that, you know, she'll walk up to me and, and be that way. And totally. so I was like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go along with this. And so I, as you were saying, it's more of the the art side of things too. Yeah. And, and that is so hard. You know, I find those younger kids to be the hardest because they're so cute. You love them. You want to spend time with them. But, you know, my, my five-year-old son right now is in a phase of he loves Legos. And I remember as a kid, oh, yeah. I loved Legos too. And I can sit there for 10 minutes and build Legos with him. But gosh, on the weekend, on a Saturday, when I'm laying on the floor playing Legos and it the, the clock ticks to an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes, I'm like, oh, my mind's racing and I'm dying to get back to work. I'm dying to go dive into an email. I'm dying to go do something that feels productive. But it's important that we spend that time and invest in our kids and build those relationships. So kudos to you for doing that because it's it's not always easy, right? And, and that's part of being human too, is just acknowledging that some of these things can be hard, right? Too often we show up and we talk about how great we are at doing this or that, right? When when my my little girls want to play dolls, it's really hard for me. I'm, I'm horrible at it and I may try to force myself, but I'm not great at it. And it's okay to admit that and say, I'm working on it. I want to be a better dad. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, that seems to be like the tone of life, right? Like 
continuous small improvements and then being okay with that. Totally. I used to be the person that tried to do like big giant energy swings in my in my twenties and stuff and you know, all night coding sessions and and then I realized that if you just have a consistency thing, you're gonna win long term. But I wanna talk to you about your family ventures. I saw you have DeWolf, it's DeWolf Family Ventures. So are you teaching the teenagers, the ones that are that are older, about investing in this type of stuff? You know, I, that's the hope over time. Right now, my older ones, you know, they're not as interested as, as you'd love them to be as a father. Right now, we're just investing family assets into angel investments. And, um, you know, whenever I have an opportunity, whether it's those investments or charitable giving, anything like that, I try to, to bring my kids in, again, integrate things together. But right now, it's just opportunistic. Right? In the role that I'm in, I get lots of folks reaching out to me uh, for advice that may have a software company they're still starting, uh, maybe looking for investment. And I found that over time, there were enough great ideas out there and some incredible leaders that what uh, we did was we put a little fun together and we're investing in the next generation of leaders that are building software companies. And it's a lot of fun to do and make those investments. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to you know, hire a business manager to help us uh, to run those because uh, I've got a full-time job. It's not, not a full-time job for me, but I do like to be aware of them and know what we're doing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Investment manager, of course. So is it a lead gen for you to acquire companies or is it just, do you keep them, do you keep those it's things not separate? Really. It's, it's, uh, it's really separated. Um, it is really just family assets that are being invested uh, into emerging software companies. And, and the underlying underwriting all goes back to the quality of the leader, right? So really it goes back to what we were talking about. The only thing that is similar is the same way we hire great employees at Three Pillar, character-based, looking for folks that have high integrity, share those values. That's what we're looking for in great leaders that are starting starting software companies that may be looking for uh, mentorship and investment. And, uh, And that's how we underwrite the deals. Finding people with character within your company, like when hiring, do you have it more systematic than just it's in the culture and, and your leaders being a part of that culture, it's contagious and they understand how to look for them like intrinsically? Or is it more of like, do you have like a personality quiz? Have you gotten more like... Yep. We have a couple of different tools that we use. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, I think way too often values are something that are on a wall and most people don't even know, right? When I talk about culture, what I'm talking about is the behaviors of an organization and whether or not they reflect those intentional values. Do you see actions taken that are in alignment with those values on a day in, day out basis. And if you do, you have an intentional culture. And if you don't, you have an accidental culture. We've been deliberate about building an intentional culture that lives those values, right? And our organization, they're so front and center, we are so deliberate about them that they can tell you that our values are intrinsic dignity, our open collaboration, are continuous improvement and outsized impact. And they can speak to each one of those and why they matter, why they matter in the context of our purpose of harnessing the power of team to help make a impact in the world and to lift every single person that is involved in that team, right? And so that has become a living, breathing thing that absolutely we performance manage against it. Our systems are built to make sure we live those. We assess people on, are you living that culture? Are you living those values? Exact same thing for hiring. We are deliberate. Every single person that comes in has a cultural interview and we ask questions about 
How do does this person, how do you live the value of open collaboration? Walk me through examples where you had to get in a room with a team and, and change your perspective, right? Or build on somebody else's idea or share openly even when it was hard, right? Asking those questions. So we've definitely tried to be deliberate about systematizing that, making it front and center, truly what we live, not just the poster on the wall. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think if you boil it down to a few things that you really focus on, it makes it a ton easier than like having eight because your competitor has eight. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about the economy. I saw you had a couple posts Hmm. and so you probably have some interesting thoughts on it. It's been very volatile lately. You're an investor. We just talked about investing. You're also on on your non-family assets at Three Pillar. You're actually, it seems to me that you're actively acquiring. You, I see a lot of M&A mm-hmm. activity. What's going on in the marketplace? What should we expect for this next year? Yeah. Well, you know, if any of us had a crystal ball, I think we'd be doing something different, right? So nobody <laughs> really knows. But he, here's what I think. I would say, number one, I think we're already in a recession, right? Recessions, you don't really know till you get on the other side and say, oh, (laughs) we can see it. It's a lag measure. But I think we're in it already. Um, I think it's a very volatile recession as well, right? There's a lot of bouncing around. Uh, There is so much liquidity that's been poured into this economy that I think it's really hard to know what is going to happen because there's, there's a lot of different signals saying a lot of different things. That said, when I step back and look at the reality of what's gone on, I think one of the weird dynamics we have is that we're hitting this recession on the other side of a pandemic, which had people stuck at home saving up money. And so I think over the summer months, you had a ton of travel and just recreation type spend that we haven't had in years. And I think that propped up the economy a little bit. And I think some of the volatility that you're seeing now is getting to the other side of that, right? Now that we are um, in October, we're out of results coming from the August timeframe when everybody was traveling, we're past Labor Day. Um, And I think some of what you're seeing now in this most recent dip is related to kind of all of that pent up savings kind of getting out of the system and flushing a little bit. I suspect that for the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to have a pretty soft economy. I think the the prudent businesses in this economy will be investing and really trying to take advantage of everybody pulling back. But there will be definitely a pullback. There's a pullback in consumer spend. We see a lot of things jumping around. But I think if we get on the other side of the the next major election, I think you're going to see a lot of the the instability taken out of the system. People will know what's going on next. And I expect after 12 to 18 months, things will start to grow again. That's my best guess. I'm no expert in economics. I'm no expert in the markets. Um, well, but you're, I, you're evaluating I, I companies and those companies yeah. have customers that are other companies. So you have some ideas to like, you, you typically work with like Fortune 500 companies. Am I correct? Yeah, a, a right? lot of Fortune 500, a lot of, you know, high growth emerging enterprises. Yeah, so you're able to detect, I mean, I own a business. I can tell you how sales are doing. <laughs> Right. right? Like well, you, and you so can... what, what do we see right now that leads to that, right? We see, number one, decisions are elongating. People are co- okay. becoming 
uncertain in their decisions. For a long time, especially in digital transformation, people felt so far behind and they, the economy was so strong that they were making immediate decisions. During the pandemic, our sales cycle w went from about an 82-day sales cycle down to like a 10-day sales cycle for oh, a period wow. of, of months. It was unbelievable to watch. I'd never seen anything like it. That sales cycle is starting to elongate. We're seeing people postpone decisions till after annual budgeting. Um, we're mm -hmm. seeing people take, they're continuing to invest, but they are consolidating their investments and refocusing them on things that are going to drive very tangible growth, right? And so what we're seeing is more prudence and smart decision-making and slower decision-making. Um, and, and that's what I think is, is leading me to say, these signs are real. There's definitely something happening. There's good signs, there's bad signs, but businesses undoubtedly are pulling back and kind of circling the wagons for a soft period of time. Yes, uh, 100%. And you just look at the CEO studies. I mean, over here, I stopped looking at the market and I just prepared for a recession. I was like, all right. I was like, <laughs> what we, and, and the way I did that, whether it's right or wrong, is I just pulled up that PL and started looking at things that were necessary and unnecessary. I, I figured, I actually found a way to restructure our production teams that made them like twice as efficient. And so I was like, that's great because awesome. now we make twice as much money. <laughs> so, um, you know, and just moving things around, obviously all those things take time and, and, and like months to, to maneuver. But yeah, just having that mindset of just a lean mindset and obviously still putting money where things matter and, you know, not, not being shy there. I had one guy explain it to me, the CTO, he's been on the show a bunch. His name is Brad Sosa. He's also like a pastor. He was telling me a story about this media company that he was working with back in the 2008 recession or, or whatnot. And all the other companies in his industry were holding back and, and, and not dealing with it, waiting for that floor. And he decided to, like, he felt it was right to, after prayer and stuff to like invest in there. He grew it like 10x or something. And I asked him, I was like, that's interesting. He goes, yeah. He goes, the way I see it is I, I work for God. He's like, this is God's economy. And you know, I'm not, it's not the American economy. It's not the Indian economy. It's not the, he goes, it's God's economy. And I, and I work for him. And so, uh, I'm going to, you know, trust what I get from that relationship. And, and it worked out super well. And so, you know, when the urge struck me to like sort of retract, I didn't retract in a, a, a manic way and just like slash and burn. I just made sure we were being like, as you said, prudent, efficient, intelligent with the money. And of course I follow like Dave Ramsey's financial advice. So we, we do a lot of saving and stuff at the business. You know, I took my personal life and then applied those principles to my business and that worked out pretty well. I know I said a bunch of stuff yeah. there, but I mean, look at that. You're living an integrated life. You just said it, right? You're, yeah. you're integrating the way you think about your personal finances is the same as the way you think about your company finances. And I, I think that's prudent, right? But I, I would say I'm totally with you in terms of our responsibility as leaders and thinking about uh, our faith and how it applies to how we're living our life. But even just from a pragmatic perspective, right? An economy and when it's shrinking, it's, it's just like, when you're driving a race car, what do you do? You tap the brakes into the curve and you accelerate out of it, right? Over and over again, if you go back in history and look at the case studies, just from a prudent business perspective, the right way to navigate an economy is to tap the brakes, not jam on the brakes, right? To your point, you don't just start, start slashing and, break, uh, and burning. You tap the brakes going into the curve and then you accelerate out of the curve. And so you want to be investing in your business to take advantage of that economy coming back 
And by the way, the reality that other people are going to panic and you'll be able to take market share if you're accelerating out of the curve. And I that I, I think just from a very pragmatic business perspective, that's what prudent leaders do in a recession. Where are you at in that uh, analogy? Are, are, are you still tapping or are yeah, I, I think Q4 is the transition point for us. Uh, I think we're, we're tapping, we're being smart, we're still executing on some of those, but we're starting to look at right now, where are those opportunities to invest? Um, I think we're going to gauge that based on what we see as the bottoming out. I don't think we've hit the bottom yet. I think we're aware of it. So we haven't started executing, but we've started to plan for the reinvestment coming back. Nice. What's the most important thing right now for Three Pillar? What's going on in your world? Hmm. So, you know, one of the brutal realities of what's happened, you mentioned the acquisitions we've done. We've had a lot of organic growth as well. We talked about the pandemic and what happened to our business through that period of time, right? A lot of digital disruption. When you're going through growth like what we've experienced, it becomes easy to just focus on the growth and grow, 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 grow. And you plow through several inflection points. And I can say that we plowed through some of those inflection points. And it's really important that as you get on the other side of that, and as you're managing through that, you continue to go back to how do we scale a business, right? Because if you're not being intentional, you create a lot of organizational debt. And so we are at a point now where what we've been focusing, the tapping of the brakes for us going into this curve has been, Okay, we've been doing a lot of growing, but we haven't been focused on how do you scale and create a lean, efficient organization to be able to scale really well, to make it easy to do work, right? And so we've been very focused on those operational improvements, on making sure we're, we're building a great business, not just growing with the economy itself. And so that, that real business building, working on the business, not in the business, uh, has been a key part of what I'm focused on right now. Amazing. And I'm watching time here. I want to make sure we're businessmen. What does your company do and how can people learn more? Yeah, thanks, Joel. So it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Three Pillar Global is the name of the firm. We build digital products that help our clients compete in this digital economy. These are the goods and services that they're actually selling to their customers and using this software to actually deliver those goods and services. They can go to threepillarglobal.com. Would love to work with anybody that is looking at investing in this digital economy and figuring out how to compete. I love it. And I and I liked you guys. I think the way I, I met you was through that product mindset book. And I was like, let's have these people on. That book to this day is the book, the link I send to people when they you know want me to explain. I get a call from my cousin or somebody. Hey, can you make an app? Like, how do you do this? I'm like, go read this book. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> go read this book and then we'll talk and it helps form the conversation. It's a great, great thing to have so out there. So that's product mindset and that's still on Amazon, right? You still buy that That's there? exactly right. You can read it at Amazon and the thinking in that book has led us to build digital products for what we estimate to be about 75% of Americans use our products. They just don't know it's us uh, that's built it. And so, um, you know, it's the secret that we've built the business on. And I think uh, we, we've given away the secrets. We want the world to know it because the digital economy is here. It's real. You got to know how to do it. I love it, man. Well, we made a podcast, David. How do you feel? Uh, it's great. It was a lot of fun chatting with you, Joel. Thanks for uh, going there. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.